If you have a Bible, grope, grope it. Don't grope it. Open it. That would be inappropriate, okay? So don't do that. But you can open it to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you. You can grab that. Open up to 2 Thessalonians. When I was growing up, many of you know, I've told you before, I think my parents were divorced when I was really young. And like many uh, you know, divorced families, particularly in the 80s, uh, Things were difficult, and I guess married, probably married couples too, but financially things were, were really difficult, and uh, my dad lived in another city, my mom, my older sister and I, we lived together, and uh, we lived in this single wide trailer house um, and that my uh, great uncle owned, and he was gracious to let us live there uh, fair, fairly cheaply. Uh, we ate a lot of like, you know, potted meat, right, spam, Venus sausages, some of you can relate, right? We, we just weren't poor. We did not have a lot of money. We were really poor. And I can remember um, my grandmother would come. My grandfather was a pastor. And so my grandmother, every Sunday, if we, if we weren't staying with them, if we were staying at home, my grandmother would come and pick my sister and I up every, every single Sunday that, that we weren't with her. And she would pick us up and she would take us to McDonald's. And I can remember, like this was, this was like clockwork. I knew it was going to happen every time. Grandma was going to come pick us up. We'd go to McDonald's, and I would get a sausage McMuffin with egg. And it was like the best meal I had all week. I mean, it was like McDonald's for one. All right, I'm a little kid, okay? So it's McDonald's. And, I mean, I, I can remember. I still have a deep affection for McDonald's. You can ask my wife, people that know me. I, and it's, it's part of the nostalgia. I, most times coming to church on Sunday, if I'm by myself or even with my kids, we're rolling through McDonald's, getting a you know, sausage, something. And more so even now, probably because it's just so nostalgic. But the part that I remember is that I could always depend on my grandmother. Like she, it was like clockwork. Like it was, it was going to happen. I, we didn't need to ask. Nobody needed, nobody needed, you know, we didn't. It was, it was going to happen. No, no one wondered, no one questioned. Like when grandma picked us up, I didn't say, Grandma, are we going to get to go to McDonald's today? It was, there was no question. It was going to happen. She was going to do it because she, she would come through all the time. I've been thinking about this text, and I've been mulling over it for a few weeks now. We used it a little bit last week with the deacons. Man, I've just been resonating with the idea of the surety of God. And I said that to my wife this morning, and she laughed at me, and she's like, I don't think that's a word. And I said, well, of course it's a word. I have a master's degree. Surety is a word, okay? And so I had to go look it up. And sure enough, it's a word, um, but it's not the word that I was using it for, I mean, kind of. So surety is like someone who were to, were to pay something for you, kind of like if you go to jail and they're going to make a surety for you to get out. Like they're going to come in and pay something or be the one responsible for making sure that something happens. And um, I was like, well, that's great. Like, that's like in Jesus, right? Like, he is our surety. But even more than that, I just want to think of, like, the word sure. Like, this is, this is sure. This is dependable. This is something that, that you can depend on. The, the surety of God. The, maybe the sureness of God. I don't know. I, I'm going to petition Webster and see if we can get this word and put this definition in. But this idea of the things of God that we can hold on to, that we can depend on, we can trust in the Lord in. Or you remember here in Second Thessalonians several weeks ago, Scotty had this, this great sermon on this really incredible text. And you can remember if you 
If you're, if you're new or if you can't remember, the, the Thessalonians are dealing with this particular idea, struggling with this idea of the end of the world, particularly when Jesus comes and the rapture, when the Christians will be taken up and when is the day of the Lord coming and the judgment and all this. And they're wrestling with this idea, particularly because they thought the, that Jesus would come before they died and several of the people that they'd known had trusted in Christ had died and so they were wondering what is, what is up with these people. And so then you put that in the context of they're, they're facing serious persecution. Paul has already really run out of the city, and, that, and he's riding from a different place because the persecution had gotten so difficult. It, these people were living in a difficult time, and they were certainly struggling with this, these, this what is Jesus, is Jesus going to come? And is, this, is, is our faith secure? Can we be sure of our faith? Can we, can we be sure of what, what is happening, what is God's doing? And so Paul lays out this whole deal again. Remember, he's like, listen, I've already told you about this. I've really kind of already written to you about this. And, and this is how it's going to be. And then we get to this kind of ending. He kind of tags on to this ending that I'm hoping this morning will just resonate deep with, within our hearts this morning. So if you have your Bible, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting In verse 13, I'm going to read it all and then we're going to come back and just kind of go verse by verse through this thing, try to understand and then apply it to our lives. So starting in verse 13, but we must always thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. Verse 16, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Peter, Paul begins here, he says, but we must always Thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Paul painting this picture about the surety of God in salvation. They can trust. Listen, I know there's all these questions. Scotty talked a little bit about this last week, that when we, when we come to the scriptures, there are some things that are really clear and we really understand them. And we know that the end is coming. We know that Christ is coming. We know that there is a judgment that's coming. The scriptures are really clear about that. But secondarily, underneath that, we don't have all the answers. We don't understand completely how that's going to happen. And so this is causing a lot of consternation with them. And I think Paul lands here because he says, listen, you can, you're okay. Your salvation is secure. It's sure. Don't be worried about these things because you will be saved. We don't know when that end is coming. We don't know how that's going to happen. But the thing you need to hold on to is that you will make it through. You're okay. You're good. You're saved. You have the gospel. And there's this idea in here where he talks about, again, he talks about thanking God and, and because he's already done this before. But then he says, God has chosen you from the beginning. And I know that there's been full theologies built around this idea of being chosen, particularly from the very beginning, and some of us still wrestling through that and trying to understand that and, and, and put all those pieces together. 
But I think really when you dwell down into this idea of being chosen, we can't get away from these verses. There are verses that talk about election and being chosen. If you look back even in the Old Testament, when God comes to his people and he says, I've chosen you to be my people, there was nothing really particularly good about you. You were just this kind of little puny people over here, and I've chosen you to be my people. I'm going to make you my people. That didn't mean that they, they were all you know going. They, they still had to have their faith in the righteousness, but they were chosen by God. But here, here we are. There's this idea in the scriptures over and over and about election and chosen. And, and in this room, there's probably people from all different places and where you stand on all that. And I personally, I don't really, I don't want to get into that because I don't think that's in this instance what Paul is trying to do. I think Paul, what, tr- what Paul is ultimately trying to do is saying, hey, listen, your salvation is secure because it's in God who did this thing from the very beginning. God understands and knows all things. He is sovereign over all things. You don't have to worry about your salvation. If your salvation is in Jesus Christ, which we're about to see later, that this is sure, this is secure because it's from the beginning of the world. God is a huge sovereign God and somehow in his sovereignty, he has chosen you for salvation. You're 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 good. You have what you need. God has chosen you for your salvation. The emphasis here, putting on God. You can trust God. You can believe God for your salvation because he's been in control of this thing from the very beginning. There's nothing outside of his hands. You can't lose your salvation because God has saved you. God is the one who has done the work, and it's been his plan from the very beginning. And I I really like this text when we're trying to work this out, because for me personally, I believe in a huge, big, sovereign God, even in salvation. I don't think there's some things that we can understand. We start thinking about chosen. Karen and I, we've been talking about this all week, because I've been telling her this text is coming, and I know it's difficult, and I know we've got some people here... You know, diehard Calvin reform, you know, and some people, like, I'm not really sure, free will, all of those things. He's just wrestling with that. He's like, yeah, I know God is sovereign. And I read the Bible and I can see him say things to Job like, you know, who do you think you are? Where were you when I told the, the ocean to stop right here? I can do what I want. I'm God. Who am I to question God in salvation? And whether he's chosen people or not chosen people or made people or whatever, I, those are so many questions. Like you have these paradoxes in the Bible where you have God's complete sovereignty, but somehow man has responsibility. And we see that in this text. He mentions two things. He says, your salvation, he's chosen your salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. There's something working in this salvation that the, the Holy Spirit is working in you in your sanctification. We've talked about sanctification a lot. And we've mentioned that there is a, a, a sanctification that is complete, which we would call justification. There's this idea where God has sanctified you completely. On one hand, God is looking at you, and he's looking at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you've been sanctified. And he's saying, this, this person is sanctified. They are, they are holy. They are my child. They, they are a part of my kingdom. And so now I'm seeing them as blameless and innocent But then there's this other side where we know we still have sin and we're living in this. And there's this process of sanctification that is happening. That the Holy Spirit is bringing us through. God is working on us. And see, salvation isn't about your perfection. It's about your holiness. You say, Tim, well, that's kind of 
You know, that's kind of splitting hairs. Yes, maybe. But I think for some of us, we start thinking about salvation in terms of we're trying to be perfect. We've, we've got to be perfect. We've got to do the right things. And there's so much more than just doing the right things. There's this sanctification process where God, through the Holy Spirit, is shaping our hearts to live in holiness. Not just live to be perfect, to do the right thing, but to live for the glory of God. To live in holiness, to live as a people who are set apart for Him and for His glory. You you can kind of make the right decisions and do the right things and it not be for the glory of God. There's a difference. The difference is salvation, what God has saved you. He saved you, he's rescued you from sin and death and brought you into his family so that you now might be his ambassador to live for him. And he's working through the Holy Spirit, nothing of your own. That, that's the difference, I think, this idea of perfection and holiness. I think sometimes we just struggle with our sin because we're trying to be perfect. And we put that... On us, I can do this. I can be perfect. I can make the right decisions. I can, I can not sin. I can do the things that are right. And we're, mis- we're doomed for failure in that. When we submit to this idea that, no, God is working a process in me. He is sanctifying me to be holy. This isn't about my perfection. This isn't about me being good. This is about me submitting myself to the Spirit who wants to work in me, who wants to bring salvation in me to the end, who wants to work this sanctification out in my life. You see the difference there? I think so many of us, we struggle with our sin. And we spend so much time thinking, well, I can do this. I can clean myself up. I can make all the right decisions. And it's just not going to work. The more we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, understanding that God has saved us and he wants to work in us. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit. And then he says here, you've been chosen for salvation through belief in the truth. Yes, we have this big sovereign God who is sovereign over salvation. He chooses us. He saves us. But there's a part of us There's a part of salvation that man has a responsibility in. Now you can call that free will, you can call that wherever you want, but I think the Bible is clear that man has to choose God. Yes, God is the one who draws us to him. We can't come to God on God is doing all of those things. However you want to define that, I think man has responsibility. There's a point where we are saved because we believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that's a work. I don't believe that's something that we can create on our own. It's definitely something God doing in us. But ultimately, that responsibility falls on us. I don't believe that God is pressing in us or making us these, we're like these little chess pieces that he's moving around. I think he's given us a responsibility. He's given us the moment where we have to decide, will we follow Jesus or not? We experience salvation through the Spirit, yes, but also for our belief in this truth, that there is a truth that we must believe in. In order for us to be saved, for us to experience this salvation that Paul is talking about here, that he wants them to believe in, it's our faith. It's our faith in this truth. What is the truth? That's the next verse. Verse 14, he called you to this through our gospel, So that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, if you're taking notes, is the surety of the gospel. So we have the surety of God and salvation. That God is the one who saves us. So we can trust in him. We don't have to question our salvation. We don't have to wonder, is our salvation true? Because it's not based on our works. It's not based on us earning our merit. Our salvation is true and right and 
we can be confident in our salvation because it's from God. God is the one who's done the work. God is the one who is saving us. Yes, we believe, we place our faith in him, but that's, that's not a work. It doesn't save us just because we say some prayer. God is the one who saves us. A part of that is our placing our faith in him, but all of that is under somehow the sovereignty of God. We can be sure in our salvation. That's something they're wrestling with. This is difficult. I don't know what's going on. What's going to happen? Are we going to be saved in the end? And Paul wants them to know, yes, you can trust in your salvation because God is the one who is in control of it. And then he wants them to see the surety of the gospel, which really undergirds this idea. He says he's called you to this through this salvation. You can trust him in this salvation because you can trust the gospel. This is the only way that you can be saved. You can trust that this salvation is coming because you've placed your faith in the right place, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that because he says, you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we decide to place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we decide to place place our faith in the truth, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says that Jesus Christ was living in heaven. He was there with God and he chose to come to this earth and live perfectly to be the sacrifice for our sins he was crucified on the cross and he was buried he was dead they buried him in a grave and he resurrected and he ascended and sits at the right hand of the father making a way for us to have relationship with God his death covering our sins the blood poured out covering our sins, providing forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and reconciliation with God. That's the gospel that we believe in a nutshell. And he says, what's going to happen when you believe this gospel is that you will obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what do we get when we get salvation? We get Jesus. That's what we get. You can be sure that this salvation in the end is going to work. It's going to be good. It's, it's, you get confident in this because it's placed, it's foundation it's founded in the gospel of jesus christ which you can be sure is the right way to salvation if you're in here this place and you're wondering you're thinking about what happens when when we die or what's next the bible is very clear salvation is found only through the gospel of jesus christ Men will only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us in this room who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be sure. I have these conversations with some friends occasionally. They go, how can you you know? And and they kind of really take a step back and, well, God is is sovereign, and so we we don't even really know who's going to be saved. I mean, I I think I'm going to be saved, but there may be somebody over here that's going to be saved that we didn't even think would be saved would be saved. And, and my, my answer is always no. We know that we'll be saved because the Bible tells us we believed in the gospel. There will, there will be no one who is saved. There will be no one in heaven who's obtained the glory of Jesus Christ who did not place their faith in Jesus Christ. We're not going to be surprised by some other guy who's in some other religion. He's going to be there and we're going to be like, oh man, how did you get here? Well, there was kind of this back door that it kind of slid in. The Bible is clear. You and I can have confidence in our salvation because we believe that Jesus Christ, that God has secured our salvation in Jesus Christ. 
And so we can have surety. We can have confidence that we are saved if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. There's no doubt. Now, I know there are moments in our lives where we wonder, right? We wrestled. Is my faith real? I would just beg you to come back to texts like these that help us see the confidence we can have in Jesus Christ. This gospel that we preach about every week, this gospel that you've placed your faith in, God says if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can have confidence in the surety of the gospel that you will obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. You will see Jesus. You will get to experience and live with Jesus Christ forever. It also serves as a warning. If you're in this place and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not living for the glory of God. And these questions about what happens in the end, you cannot be sure in. You cannot be sure that you will be saved. You cannot be good enough. You cannot work your way there. The Bible says the only way you can be sure of your salvation, and really the only way that salvation is going to happen, is if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he says, Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. So we have the surety of God and salvation. We have the surety of the gospel. And now we have the surety of the word. So I believe in the gospel. I believe that Jesus Christ has saved me. I understand all things. So now, Tim, what do I do? And he says, therefore, brothers, because the gospel, because you believe this, then stand firm. Hold on to these things, these traditions that you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. So Paul's, Paul's written them. He's been there. He's he's. He's given them, he's taught them the the things of God. But but for you and I, now we have the word of God, which is really what Paul is talking about. I believe that Paul clearly understands the things that he writes, the things that he teaches are from the Lord. These aren't Paul's ideas. These These are uniquely given to him by the Lord for the believers. So some point down the road, we put them all in the scriptures and we have the Bible. We can believe And trust in the word of God. It's it's a little circle, secular, I know, circular, I know, right? Like, I don't know if that's the right word, but you just go with me, all right? So, like, we trust in Jesus because we read it in the Bible, and we can believe the Bible because we trust in Jesus, right? I hope that you believe that you can trust the word of God. It is the infallible, inerrant word of God that he has given to us on how we are to know him and how we are to know how to trust him and to follow him. Paul is saying, yeah, now you have the salvation you're going to hold on to. I mean, you're going to understand that you have this salvation, you have this faith in Jesus Christ. And now what you do is you hold on to what he has taught you. Hold on to who he's taught you to be, who he is, how he's taught you who he is and how to live for him. You can trust these things. You can trust who God is as he's revealed himself in the word because you can trust his word to us. Paul's saying you can trust what we've told you, what we've written to you because it's from the Lord. God wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know how to follow him. That's why he's given us the Bible. It's revelation 
from him to us on how we can know him and how we can know how to follow him and be his children. You can trust in the Bible because God has given it to us. We don't have time. I think we've gone through this before. I know there's issues of people talking about, well, you know, it's been copied and all of these things. But we can go back. We have so many copies of the Bible that are so close to the dates when they were written that we are 99.9% confident in what we have is really what the original manuscripts were. And anything that's questionable doesn't change any of the meanings or any of the things in the texts. I mean, the discussions of things that are like it could be this or could be that in Scripture are so minute and really so meaningless. Now, there's discussion, oh, why does this word mean? Well, that's just something we're going to discuss. But is that word in there? We know that word is there. You, you can believe that what you have in your hand is the Bible from God that he wants to give us and how to know him and how to follow him. And this becomes particularly important for these believers, just like for us. They're wrestling with these questions. They're, wondering, they're asking, this, Paul, how do you know this is true? Tim, how do you know this is true? Because it's from God. Paul says, listen, you don't take my word for it. Trust the Lord. Trust the, the words of God given to you. You want to know how to follow God? You want to know how to live this life of faithfulness and living this life of holiness? You've got to spend time in the Word of God. When you spend time with the Word of God, you are spending time with God. I, I don't know really how best to explain that, but I can remember people telling stories about loved ones who went off to war and they would write them letters. I've been listening to the American sniper deal, and he talks about how, or the wife talks about how sometimes receiving letters. And you think in that moment, you get to read those words, you feel like you're in the prayer, you're with them, right? That's your only way to be with them, even though they're, they're in a distant country, but you're reading these letters and these words from them to you, and you feel like you're with them there together. That's what the Bible is for us. These are the words of God given to us. You want to know what God says? You want to know what God wants for your life? Well, spend time in the word of God. We have this question with college students all the time. Like, I don't know what's God doing, what's God saying. Like, if you want to know for sure what God has said, go to his word. When people tell you, hey, I have a word from the Lord and I want you to know this. Okay, I'm not really sure about that. But what I do know is sure is it better match up with the Bible. So I'm going to go to the word of God because this is sure. This is true. I can be confident in this. And if you, what you tell me matches up with this, then we can start having another conversation. But I'm going to land here because I trust the word of God because God has given it to me. I hope that you believe strongly, deeply in the word of God. And I hope that that belief plays out in your life and manifests itself in you spending time soaking, just pouring yourself into the Word of God. You want to know God. You want to know who He is. You want to know how to faithfully follow Him as a child of God. Then you've got to spend time in the Word for yourself, pouring and reading. 
the surety of the word of God in our lives. And then he closes, he says, verse 16, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and has given us internal, eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. And Paul just kind of sums this up and saying, listen, this God who's done all the things, you can have surety for today because of who God is. He has loved us. You can trust God in his salvation. You can trust God in the gospel. You can trust God in his word because he has loved us. God has graciously and lavishly loved us by sending us Jesus Christ. That's what he says. He's given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace. Well, how have we gotten eternal encouragement? How have we gotten hope by grace? Jesus. We place our faith in Jesus so we have eternal encouragement. We know, we know no matter what's going to happen in our lives that we are encouraged that in the end Jesus wins. It's all going to be good for us. We have hope by grace. No matter what this world throws at you, no matter what difficulty you're walking through right now, you can believe that even if it never gets better on this earth, that ultimately you're going to get to spend eternity with Jesus and everything is going to be good and right and perfect. And God says, while we were yet enemies, he lavished his love on us. He poured out his love to you. Paul's making the case here of why you should be able to believe and put your surety in God. Because he has given you Jesus. If there's no other reason to trust God, to trust his word, to trust his salvation, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done for you. You have an eternal encouragement you lose your job you don't know what's next you're a senior in college you're getting ready to graduate this week you're having difficulties in your marriage you can be eternally encouraged no matter what the situation no matter what the circumstance you can believe in the encouragement that will come from Jesus Christ and I'm not saying everything is always going to turn out for the good people still make terrible decisions but even in that you can believe in the encouragement of Jesus Christ That even if it doesn't get better on this earth, that someday you're going to be with Jesus forever. We can have hope in the grace of God. We're struggling in our sin. The enemy comes to us and wants to beat us up and tell us, you're no good, you're terrible, you're a sinner, God doesn't love you, God doesn't care about you. You say, no, I have the hope of the grace of Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm struggling, but the Bible tells me I have hope that someday he's going to, he's going to make my sanctification complete. I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. There's going to be no more sin in my life. There's going to be no more disobedience. There's going to be none of this struggle. I'm going to have the grace of God fully in my life forever. This ought to be an encouragement to us. Right? This life is hard. This life is difficult. Whether just because of life and losing jobs and things like that or because of our own sin and our own difficulty. And Paul's saying, listen, Jesus, God has loved you in Jesus Christ. He's given you these things. And he says, it will encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Everything, every good work that is coming, every good word that is coming from you, God is going to give you the strength and the encouragement that you will need. I think sometimes we get like these Thessalonians and we start asking all of these questions and wondering about all of these things. Not, not necessarily in times, but just in our life. 
Even with seniors, again, that are graduating and they're wondering, am I going to get a job? What's next? Am I going to go to school? It's, Listen, God's going to take care of you. If you'll just press into him, if you'll just trust in him, if you'll just believe in his word and believe in his salvation and believe in the gospel, that Jesus Christ is for you, he loves you, he's going to encourage you and he's going to strengthen you for every good deed, for every good work that is ahead. What I want us to wrap our minds around this morning is that God is for you. We sing the song, my God will come through always. This is what we're saying. You, you have a God that you can trust with everything in your life. Even though you might not have all the answers, even though you don't know what is coming and what's next, you can have a God who can bring encouragement, who can strengthen your heart in the midst of the muck and the mire of this world. I know there are some of you in this place that are walking through some things that are difficulty, difficult. I want you to know that God is right there to give you encouragement, to strengthen your heart. You have difficult, difficult situations in your life. You can believe that the God who is sure in salvation and sure in the gospel and sure in giving his word, you can trust him. You can believe him, that he is for you and he is working things for your good. He can encourage you and strengthen you no matter what you're going through in this life. Our God is incredible. He loves us. Again, I'm not saying things will always be easy. And the Bible never says that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ that we'll walk down, you know, yellow brick road picking daisies and flowers for the rest of our lives. This is not how it goes. What he does promise us, he will encourage our hearts and he will strengthen us in every good work and word. I just want to ask you this morning, what's... What's happening in your life? What part of your life do you need to say to this morning and just submit to the surety of God in your life and say, okay, God, I need your encouragement. I need your strength. Would you, would you give it to me in your word? Would you help me see it in, in the surety of my salvation and the gospel in my life, the surety of your word? God, I'm, I'm going to spend some time in your word. That's how he's going to strengthen you. That's how he's going to encourage you. Or he's going to bring other brothers and sisters in your life to strengthen you, encourage you. Or he's just going to, through the Holy Spirit, just give you this peace that will pass all understanding that the Bible says. What is it in your life this morning that you need to say, God, I need your strength and I need your encouragement. I need to believe that you are a good God that I can have confidence in, that I can put my surety in. God, I have this situation in my life and I've been so worried about it and I've been so stressed out about it and I don't know all the answers and it's just consuming me. You say, God, this is yours. Give me strength. Give me encouragement. I believe that you are a good God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you're for me and I trust you. We have a God that we can have complete confidence in, complete faith in, not just for our salvation, but to strengthen us in every good work, every good deed. He would encourage us. I want to encourage you this morning as we take a time of response. I mentioned this last week, but I just want to share it again. I hope that you understand that this time of response is really a time of response. Kurt and I and Jamie, when we plant, it's not, oh, we got to put in the response time because that's what we do. And we have to have this, you know, three or four minutes here where we do this thing, where we sing and you get up and then we can, it's it's not a transit, this is a time of response. And I know sometimes we say, you know, come down here and pray and I know that's difficult. Because 
in our minds, we think all kinds of things. Well, if I get down and I go down there, somebody's going to think that I have these really big problems or that I'm a terrible Christian or whatever. And there's nothing special about coming down here. I know that. But like I said last week, there are some times where when a movement in our life is an expression to the Lord and to the people around us that God is doing business in my heart. And some, some of you, you need to move. You need to make a physical posture move. You need to come down here and submit yourself to say, God, I'm making a movement. It is, it, is a, it is a movement in my life that is moving towards you. Maybe it's in the pew. Maybe you just want to sit down there in the pew or kneel down in the pew. And maybe it's none of those. But I'm hoping and praying that during this time you will respond in your heart, that you will pray to the Lord, God, what is it? Is there some area of my life that I'm just so stressed out, I'm so worried about, and I just haven't really submitted to the, secure, to the security, the confidence, the, secu- the surety of God? I've been so worried about it. I've been trying to do it on my own. I just need to trust you that you're going to work in me and you're going to work through me. You're going to encourage me and strengthen me. We want you, we're asking you, we're begging us all to respond to the Lord in this moment.